Hi everyone, Dave Levine here. Happy New Year to you and thanks so much for joining me for episode 35 of the Sports Stories podcast. Well, it has been some year for the podcast with many inspirational stories, brilliant tips and guidance shared from over 30 guests, all of who have given to and learned from the world of sport. I'm delighted in the impact the sharing of these insights and stories have had on the listeners. I truly believe we all have a sports story and if open to the ideas and insights from them, we can take the inspiration and education that is on offer, which in turn can lead to transformation. Well, last week's guest really did epitomize the values of being honest, humble and working hard and provided inspiration. The feedback from the Kev Simfield episode was fantastic. Hazel Murgatroyd's comment was, incredible conversation with the inimitable Kevin Simfield. Thank you, Dave Levine, for shining a light on the uplifting of the power of sport, family, and deep, unwavering friendships. Thanks also to Mike Brown for his comments. Just listened to your interview with Kev Simfield. Absolutely loved it. Great insight and made me think. Keep up the great work. But with comments like these, why would you not continue to facilitate conversations and really exploring the impact sport can have? This leads me to today's guests. Another amazing story from an incredible person. My special guest today is Dr. Kat Bishop, medal-winning Olympic rower, former diplomat for the British Foreign Office, and has just released her first book titled The Long Win, which the Financial Times described as a deep and rewarding exploration of human motivation in sports, politics, business, and our personal lives. The Long Win has also been listed in the Financial Times top 10 business books for 2020. So as you can probably imagine, I'm delighted and very excited to have Kat as my special guest and is always confident that she will provide great insights as well as make us think. So as always, you may wish to grab a pen to take some notes or alternatively, try quieting your mind and listen in as the conversation may just be what you need when setting out on a new year, hoping and looking to create a better year than the last. So let me give a very warm welcome to medal winning Olympic rower and author of The Long Win, Dr. Kath Bishop. Kath, thanks for joining me on the Sports Stories podcast. It's really uh, a great pleasure of mine to have you on and you're giving the time. I know how busy you are at the moment with the book launch and children and, and work commitments and so on. So thanks ever so much for, for joining me. Um, great to be here. Let's dive straight in, if, if, if I may. Um, I'm, I'm really keen for people to really get to know Kath the person. Uh, you know, I'm really conscious of the the, uh, the sporting story that you've got in terms of your rowing career. Um, I'm also really curious about the the, the career you've had outside of sport. Um, and I'm sure we'll come to that right through to you being an author and a speaker and a consultant and all the great things that you currently do in the world of sport now. Um, but let me take us back to sort of the start and be curious to hear a little bit about some of your early memories of sport and how did you get into it? Yeah, so uh, I, I love sort of thinking back to, to the real life, as it were, rather than the CV life, which yeah. is kind of what we all get drawn to. And uh, and I always feel slightly disconnected from when people kind of read out things that you've kind of done that, that were just what happened at the end of a really rich experience. So I guess early days of sport were very mixed for me. Um, at one level, just quite enjoyed being active. Who doesn't? Um, and, you know, started off yeah enjoying sport kind of really early on in primary school but but pretty soon you know wasn't somebody who was a superstar by any means and really started to be labeled as not a very sporty person and more of an academic person and this this kind of categorization stuff started to happen 
I think my family were, were absolutely not very sporty. And so we probably didn't spend, you know, lots of weekends running around the park madly. Um, and, um, you know, I probably had therefore a little bit less fitness coming into the, the school PE. So that was probably, it was more an indication of what I did at the weekend. I think sometimes whether you're a sporty person or not at school. So I definitely didn't have that much, um, you know, encouragement, I guess, through school years. Um, and certainly I've got school reports from, from my secondary school years saying, you know, from my PE teachers, I have a negative attitude in <laughs> PE. It results in, you know, um, kind of not a lot of effort going in. So, you know, all of that's there, which is really a, a very interesting point for me mm -hmm. to think about how perceptions of um, what you're good at, what you're not good, good at can be, you know, hugely damaging, hugely limiting when all the time I wanted to be good at it, but I didn't know how to access that, if you like. I didn't, of course I can't within one PE lesson suddenly become fitter. Hmm. I can't suddenly become coordinated. And if anything, once you're somebody that, that isn't deemed to be the best, you're probably at the side of the hockey pitch. So you get less touches on the ball, yeah. you know, and in the end you're almost running away from the ball because you kind of at one time you're going to get it you're going to fumble it and you know it before it happens self-fulfilling so, isn't it <laughs> yeah. totally so that you know that's really the story of secondary school sport and yet I was always really interested in watching sport in a way that my family weren't and I can remember watching uh the Olympics in particular just you know really being captivated by it um watching literally kind of every event at Los Angeles in particular um, and, you know, seeing just the magic of Tessa Sanderson and Daley Thompson, of course, that's where Steve Redgrave won his first gold medal. I didn't really focus on the rowing, to be honest. Uh, I was looking much more on the sort of the track and field that captivated me, but a whole mix of sports as you get when you're watching the Olympics. I just loved watching it. It was a bit like Hollywood. So I'd love watching a good film. I didn't ever think I was going to be actress. I loved watching the Olympics, didn't ever think I would go to the Olympics. I mean, there was no sense of I'm watching this because I'm going to do this one day. I was just watching it going, wow, this is something quite different, quite fascinating. And what you're seeing is people putting themselves under pressure to try and do extraordinary things that I can hardly imagine anyone could do. How do you get to watching sport when it's not really part of the family, though? Was it just something you stumbled upon? It's a good question. Um, I think it was the holidays, the summer holidays. Right. And so, uh, and you know, it would be on the radio and, yeah. and maybe, maybe, maybe my mum might have just said, oh, let's okay. watch one bit or something, or it's on the news and you think, oh, I'd like to see a bit more. And, yeah. you know, basically the, the, you know, where the TV remote is. And so it was definitely in that kind of summer period where you're around in the house during the day. Yeah. Um, and that gave me the sort of freedom, I guess, to watch it. It was definitely me. I remember my mum saying, oh God, are you still watching that? Isn't that finished yet? I thought, it's on all day <laughs> and all night. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> um, and, and sort of catching up then when you woke up in the morning on, on you know, what, what you might have missed. And I, you know, I definitely remember, I, I can sort of visualize myself in front of the TV and my mum's going, oh God, what, what are you watching now? Is it, you know, are they still running? <laughs> round and round that track. Gosh, so the spectator part of you, was that you kind of the, the bit that lit the fire for you in sport? You know, because I'm hearing you at that stage, you weren't really playing or involved in sport in, a, in an active way. So I wasn't active in sport, but the concepts that yeah. I could see playing out were part of my life, trying hard at school, trying to learn, oh, okay. trying yeah. to work out um, how can I be better at something. 
yeah. trying to think about what's possible, I guess. What, why are we doing this studying? What, what's the point of it? I think I was a, a definitely a, a thoughtful, reflective child and interested, curious, intrigued about hmm, what, what this seems to be such a big deal. What, how do I make sense of it? Because it's so different from my life. What, what is it really about? What do I see? And I think there was a lot of also watching the, the reactions, the emotions, the experience that you see the athletes going through. I think that's why we love watching sport, don't we? I mean, it, we are just captivated by human drama playing out before us. So, Kath, let me take you a little bit away from sport. What was your academic world like then? Because you, you talk about those great principles, and I love the parallels between both sport and the, the you know, other worlds. So did they play out really successfully for you there then in terms of, you know, the trying hard and being better? Were you, you know, using those principles elsewhere? Yeah, I was a, I was a conscientious, hardworking pupil. I enjoyed school. I enjoyed lessons. Yeah. Um, and I also enjoyed music. So I was okay. particularly a, a keen pianist. Okay. And I think there were elements there of thinking about, you know, not just reading the music, but the rhythm and the story and, you know, the, the, what, what was going on. I remember being um, sort of pushed by teachers as well to think about what's the composer trying to say and, and really struggling to kind of get that. You know, I can remember playing some Chopin and, the, and my teacher would sort of say, come on, haven't you ever been in love? Don't you know what this is no. like? And I was 14. I was like, I no, I've got no idea. But you know, it sort of was ringing my mind. What am I missing? What's going on? What's the drama behind this piece once I've learned all the notes? And so, again, just that curiosity, not at that point, really not knowing what I'm searching for, but still searching, I guess, thinking there's something that I'm missing. And there's an element of human drama that's really exciting that I want to understand more and be able to access, whether that's through reading, whether that's through kind of literature or, or music or just friendship or watching films, you know, all of those things. I, I just was that, that curious person, I think, to, to find out more about what's going on. Kath, where does, where does that curiosity come from? You know, is that within us, do you think? Or is that something that we're, we learn along the way? Do, do, you, do you have a sense of that for you? Mm, that's a good question. I think it's both those things. Yeah. Um, I definitely had a, a father who had right. interests in all sorts of eclectic areas. Right. And, you know, many of which, you know, weren't for me, but I still had sort of had this, this role model, if you like, of someone who, who was fascinated by all kinds of, kinds of things, whether it was, you know, that we should still be in a duodecimal system rather than the decimal system, <laughs> you know, all sorts of things that he would find just interesting and, and, and you know, bury himself in, in finding out more about. So I think there's a lot of it that, that oh, yeah. perhaps came from, from that. And then just finding my own areas, if yeah. you like, how can I find something that is so exciting to me that I want to bury myself in it? because it's not necessarily the things that he's doing I'm thinking well that's yeah. a bit mad yeah. um but but there's this sense of also watching him kind of just be lit up and enthused by some idea that he was exploring so I think there's definitely an element there um but I think we all have that curiosity don't we of you know when you're little how's that plane stay in the sky I mean those things are 
are you know in every child and when I've ever gone into schools I just love the questions that kids ask there's such a freedom and if anything it's you know what's going on that that we lose some of that that we actually then start to say how can we be more curious you know in in some of the work I do now in organizations we want more curiosity in order to build an environment that's more inclusive where we allow people to be who we are and I think gosh at what point did we lose that curiosity do you sense then that you did lose that or uh, your curiosity or did that actually continue to be kind of nourished and flourish? Yeah, I think I think I had a, I had a, a very strong curiosity. So I think that's always driven me to do all the, the kind of slightly different things that have come up in life. And yeah. I still have a big curiosity yeah. for lots of things and like ideas. And I'm always trying to do too many things. And, right. and sometimes I kind of almost, you know, fall over because of that. But I just am interested in lots of things. And I think, oh, I wish I could do a degree in Egyptology and learn all about the pyramids. That's so amazing, interesting and art <laughs> history. Oh, my God, I know nothing about that. It's so interesting. interesting. I mean, I really could do endless courses I, of different things. I want to know everything about everything, nearly. <laughs> So let, let's go back to your journey then. So you were kind of back in, you know, in the teenage years, you're watching the Olympics, really curious about the sport world there. And where, where did it go from there then in terms of where did your curiosity take you? So it didn't take me into anything particularly active at, in the school period because it, I just, I was not a sporty child. I was categorised as that. And that just was, it really felt it was not open to me other than to watch it on television. And so it wasn't until I got to university that that all changed and it changed in a very unexpected way. Because when I went to university, I actually wasn't imagining I would do sport because why would I? I am not a sporty child. I mean, that's really pretty clear at this point. Sorry to jump in across you there, but it's just such a a key point for me is about that labelling of not being a sporty child. What did that look like and how did that feel for you looking back? So... So yeah, it's a good question. I really accepted it. And I now think, gosh, why did I accept that? But it was so obvious. I mean, the teachers know what they're talking about, don't they? And you don't question that. And my parents didn't question it. And they thought, oh, dear, yeah, you know, we're not very sporty. No surprise there. And so I think what was interesting was when I went to university, and I saw all these sporting opportunities, that I didn't feel were open to me. And I remember, you know, seeing others thinking, oh, I really want to do this. Oh, I want to play, you know, women's cricket. Oh, I want to take up rowing. Oh, I want to do these things. And I remember thinking, I kind of do, but I can't. And so I do remember thinking, oh yeah, I wish I could. I know, so, you know, they'd be saying, oh, do you want to sign up to this? And I go, oh yeah, I'd like to, but it's not, it's not really my thing. You know, and so I would would exclude myself, if you like, from from the start. And there were plenty of things I thought, oh, maybe I'll do something musical, although I wasn't quite sure where to go with that. I was quite interested in political debating and maybe kind of spending time, um, you know, looking at looking at that kind of area. So, you know, there were quite a few things that that were in my mind. and, and so it's almost kind of easy to go, well, yeah, don't, you know, why would you sign yourself up for sport? I mean, it just, it would be embarrassing. Yeah. It could be really, you know, cause then they'd have to go, oh no, you're not very good at this, go and do something else. I mean, that, that literally, it felt such a risk to do. So why did you sign up for, for sport? So I didn't. <laughs> so you didn't, so you still didn't sit then, yeah? So I didn't. And in fact, somebody came up, there was this big rowing stall and, you know, I went and drank the alcohol that they were offering right. at the Freshers' Fair. And she said, oh, you're tall, you know, almost on the verge of, yeah, we'll, we'll have you, we'll sign you up. And I was like, no, 
definitely not for me um okay. because actually of all the sports you could do rowing is really full on so that's yeah. i mean surely that's not what you're gonna, what you're gonna do anything, to the other, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. you know that's gonna be the last way you, you won't last five minutes in that world and it also involved getting up really really early um uh, which didn't fit with my kind of image of student life it's sitting up late discussing the universe solving all the problems that we had um you know having some fun and so, you know, I was pretty clear about that, that I didn't sign up. And, and, and that was how it, how it set, set off for, okay. for the first few weeks. Um, and it was only about a month later when lots of people who were becoming my friends had signed up and okay. were incessantly talking about it. And they came to me and, and, and said, look, somebody's got injured and we need an eighth person so we can do our end of term novice race. Will okay. you do it? And initially I didn't want to, uh, because again, I just thought I'm going to look silly. It's going to be embarrassing. Um, you know, I don't want to get up early, but there was, you know, uh, another voice in my head thinking about, actually, I've been watching them over the last few weeks and they're having a lot of fun. They seem to love getting up early and okay. clattering off on their bikes to go rowing. They come back and there's a buzz that absolutely kind of alive at breakfast chatting you know all through the day frankly all the time chatting about this crazy road thing and what happened and what's going to happen the next day and all of the kind of um, camaraderie that that I could see was building and and I was very envious of that yeah. I remember thinking that's a really lovely thing and, and I'm you know, missing how out could a I be bit. part yeah. Yeah. yeah how could I be a part of that so when they came and, and sort of said look you know would, would you do it for three weeks um, you know, although I still had this kind of barrier of, you know, I can't, there was a part of me that was thinking, God, oh, this is, you know, this is an opportunity. What, why not? They were giving me all the reasons to have a go that, that they'd all started from scratch. It really didn't matter how awful I was. Right. They would help me. You know, everybody was learning together. They, all of those arguments that I put up, they, yeah. they swatted away um, and they were persistent um, because they needed that eighth person. <laughs> And Kathy, that, that kind of voice around I can't, do you relay that back to those early sort of PE teaching sport experiences? Or is it is it something about um, I can't do things that um, I, I, I feel I can't be successful at or good at? You know, where, where does where, where was that message from that you were carrying with you? Yeah, I think there's something about not wanting to look silly, silly. not wanting to be embarrassingly bad as well yeah. as not wanting to fail so I think there's a, a kind of a raft of things almost yeah. that I don't want to do something that's embarrassing and I don't want to do something that I'll be bad at yeah so I think there's there's a kind of a few a few emotions there um I guess I had quite a um quite a sort of challenging home life in terms of I mean you know very loved very well looked after but yeah. I had an older brother right. who was very smart and very clever and four and a half years older so again you know I would come off the worst in most mental or physical battles, battles. <laughs> I think that's not uncommon is it that younger no. siblings are constantly almost being held to a higher bar because yeah. that's what the older sibling is is engaging in and so there was always that sense of striving to try and keep up in some way yeah. or to try and get on even terms yeah. that I think is definitely a part of my character definitely something that that I used in in studying and then later in sport this sort of striving to get to the next level that felt like something I'd learned through through childhood through the, and through the family that isn't it yeah and was your brother was your brother a sporty person in any way or was he academically you know really good 
he was academically um, good and he yeah. he loathed sport right. <laughs> well and it's interesting i'm the youngest of four actually so i've got lots of people to try and keep up with and hold on to their coattails mm. and it, it it is whether you try and even follow their suit or do you try and find something different is always something you can succeed at because then you you can succeed in your own right nearly can't you so it's absolutely I think there's a huge there was definitely that joy of when I when I did find rowing when I did find sport because it was all mine it was all mine to explore if (laughs) you like there wasn't that precedent in the family and and there was a freedom that came with that absolutely so I really like that the freedom of finding your own area so sport actually was your was your difference in the family wasn't it yeah you know but but actually what's really also curious for me is the uh, you know the, the the key principles of you know being better and trying hard and working hard and really being curious are, are still actually threads from the family aren't they or from your environment but actually you're, you're applying it in a context that's different yeah it's still very much part of me that that sort of striving I, I struggle to switch it off if you like it's just yeah, it's just how I kind of feel alive almost to be yeah. doing new things, learning new things. So let me sort of take that one a step further then, Kath, in some ways of that, you know, a lot of the you know guys and girls listening into the podcast will probably also be having a sense of, you know, what does striving mean for them and what does success mean for them? I'm curious to hear from you a little bit about, you know, when did that striving and that trying to be better um, actually hinder you to start with? You know, when, when might have it got in your way? I think all along I've been juggling without being aware of it, the two different elements of exploring, striving just to try something new, learn something new and striving, learning in order to get an an outcome, in order to get the top mark. And I think I've always really enjoyed the learning process, but obviously always been aware of the importance of outcomes because that's so dominant around you at schools, the ranking, the grades, you know, and the value that comes from being someone who gets higher grades, you feel that you are worth more. And so, you know, I've always been aware of these sort of two processes that, you know, almost thank God I quite enjoy learning because that's, that's what you need Mm. in order to do well in these results, but everyone else is just interested in the results. And I think, you know, partly again, perhaps for my father, there was always, a, you know, an, an interest in looking at things um, beyond just the answer and, and, you know, diving deeper into kind of whatever we were reading and, and looking beyond that, you know, was a bit of a counterbalance and, and very helpful in, in actually knowing more than just what you need to know to get yeah. through the exam. Yeah. Um, so it, I had that sort of sense of let's explore beyond, let's look up other things. Um, but there's no doubt the sense of external value from a school perspective, um, from what people ask about, you know, friends and family, all of that, it, it's very much around those outcomes. Well, and Kath, when did you feel like you became really conscious of that? You know, because I guess, I don't know, when, the, when we're going through school, my sense of it is we're not that aware of the, the pressures or the, what the outcome pressure is doing to us as such. But looking back, and, you know, and then I'm also curious, you know, as you we move into the sporting world, that tension around outcomes maybe becomes a little bit more, you know, result driven, mm. doesn't it? Do you have a sense of that when, when you became aware? I'd say it's secondary school. Right. The process of going to secondary school. So I was in an area that had grammar schools doing the 11 plus, plus. and that was a, a big deal. Um, 
And so that felt like it determined that was the first time where people were segregated, if you like, in yeah. different directions that was going to determine, you know, the rest of your life. Um, so I think that's the point where I was like, wow, this is this is a sort of social intervention happening yeah. that I'm not in control of. None of us are in control of. That's really, really important. And, you know, my God, I, you know, I hope this kind of goes in the right direction. And OK, well, I, I've got through to the grammar school. So, you know, few, I, I sort of passed that. Um, there, there was a real, real different reaction from other people's responses, not just my parents, but just locally, just people that, you know, all of the other parents, I guess, other people, you know, in the community, that's what they asked about. That's what they had a different response to, according to, to how you answered. So yeah. again, that sense of, um, there are, there are kind of good ways to go and, and, and bad ways, ways. to go. And, and how did you manage that? I think I felt the relief that, you know, for me, I'd, I'd done okay. Yeah. I think I felt a, a, a kind of residual question about yeah. what about the others? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, although I'm relieved, uh, and, and I think this goes through a lot of my experiences, I'm always thinking, but, but, but what about what about them? You know, yeah. they're, they're as I, good as me. They're, they're the, you know, they're, they're lovely. They've been great friends. And, and I think that's something I really struggle with now socially, this, this, sort of constant segregation and and actually you know within sport as well our desire to siphon off those who are most talented from a really early age that actually stops people just finding sport feeling like finding a home in sport enjoying sport for what it is the connection the purpose and not just oh who's the top talent from this class and I guess my question is is really around that and I'm, I'm you know my curiosity is around is that there feels a real tension there doesn't there because I'm putting this on you a little in terms of actually um it sounds like you, you were successful largely in the outcomes so you were all right but there was something about those around you and and the tension around those around you being segregated from you it's not it's not I'm not hearing that you were being unsuccessful at those early stages but actually feeling for those around you and what the system was doing yeah, totally. I mean, I was I was doing well, but I was uncomfortable yeah. Yeah. about um, about the the sort of value that came from that. I guess yeah. um, you know, just just as I feel uncomfortable about any labels really we put on yeah. who are the talented ones, because as soon as you do that, you're telling everyone else they're not talented, and that's so dangerous. Well, let, let's move on, Kath. You took that into your sporting career, I guess, didn't you? And you know. You said there you were, uh, you know, you did the three weeks in the university, didn't you, in, in the in the rowing team or group with your friends. Where, where did it go from that then? Because I, I guess given what we're talking about here in terms of outcomes, all of that stuff and the labelings of people was was buzzing around with you at that stage still. It was no, actually, the 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 rowing introduction was was was. I was so grateful for it. It was just fun. Okay. It was just enormous fun. It was something I'd never experienced right. before. It was physically and mentally exhilarating, and right. an unbelievable camaraderie that I had never experienced in my life until that point. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe some 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 of those sort of summer activities or being on a guides <laughs> camp or something. You know, there'd been an element of. Oh, yeah, this, you know, we're away from the family yeah. centre, if you like, and experiencing a different kind of social experience. But yeah. this was just, you know, I was absolutely loving it. Yeah. Not because also I was that good at it. You know, obviously I wasn't because I, I just joined, but 
that was fine, totally released from outcomes. Yeah. And we had a race at the end of term, but there was no expectation with the race. So it was a really lovely thing. It was just literally, let's see how, we, how we're going to do. There's going to be 60 crews, total beginners, you know, maybe some have done it before. So there's no sense that actually it, you know, we just want to do as well as we can for us. There's no sense that you've got to win it at all. Just you want to go and do yourselves proud for where we are, for the experience and the amount of outings that we've had and the fact that we've got somebody new that's just come into the boat and, and all of that. So again, it was a wonderful, you know, yes, it was a competitive experience, but in just a positive, let's see what we can do, exploratory way, not in a, oh, we've got to beat them, we've got to be better than them kind of way. It sounds, um, but it sounds like than, the, the success measure was very much around around you know the fun aspect actually and the camaraderie and the connection that seemed to be the totally, success measure yeah, yeah. It, it was and and I think you know there, there was a moment actually right in the beginning of the first outing where um like within about 10 minutes I'd actually we, we drifted near to the bank because there's lots of crews going out so it's all quite chaotic and I didn't realize had no instinct for what to do if you like <laughs> I was holding on very firmly I actually broke the end of the spoon as we drifted into the bank the end of the orb because yeah. it kind of crumbled against the bank so I was hand <laughs> holding on so firm so within 10 minutes you know I had failed catastrophically oh. and for a moment I felt utter terror horror of my god you have done everything that you feared you know this is so embarrassing yeah. you've destroyed it already and in that moment I just remember the others turning around and laughing and our coach just saying right take it out give it here and going back to get another one and then we're carrying on you know I wanted to get out I said like, I'm getting out I can't do this I'm awful I'm so sorry I told you this would happen and that absolute kind of response of just you know humor and right we'll get another one and then off we go was such a kind of lovely moment for mm -hmm. me and thereafter, there was this sort of process of, do you know what, you've just got to get on with it. Whereas on the hockey pitch, I kind of stood there and, and opted out. Okay. You know, here I'm opting in. I've got no choice but to opt in. And that was a lovely thing. It doesn't matter if my head is going, no, 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 don't take the next stroke. No, no, you've got to take the next stroke. <laughs> you've just got to do it. You might do it really badly, but you've just got to do it to keep roughly in time because you literally can't really sit, you know, everyone's moving around you. You can't really sit there on your own and not opt in. Right. You know, you could maybe jump out into the river, but, but even that's quite hard with all the blades around you, with all the oars. <laughs> so you've got to opt in. It gave me permission to opt in. Right. Because that's a really interesting concept, isn't it, for people in sport, I guess, they, they opt out and opt in. And I'm wondering how people, you know, how might people use that? What, what helped you opt in? The scenario of being scenario. in a rowing boat, yeah. you know, again, you know, volleyball, that was always my sort of nemesis at school as well. We did it in PE. Yeah. I hated it. But of course, it, you know, it's only once the ball would come towards me in a lesson often. And then, of course, yeah. I'd fumble it and I'd run away from it. You know, I'd literally was in that space. But here I cannot run away. Right. So I have to run towards it, towards if it. you like. I have to just have a go. Yeah. And see how it I see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and everyone around me is just having a go. Right. So there's no spotlight on you when the ball comes towards you and everybody looks at you on the volleyball court and it's, you know, come on, are you gonna you've got to hit it for the team. Oh no, you no. dropped it. Yeah. Um th there's none of that spotlight on you because everybody's taking a stroke and everybody's All taking some time. hopeless yeah. strokes and yeah. everybody's messing them up. And then we're just having a go at the next one, trying to make it better. So yeah. it's absolutely the nature of rowing that yeah. that meant you've got no choice but to into the best of your ability, ability. whatever ability that is mm. and you just keep going and you have another go and you have another go and then you stop and have a chat and discuss how you might have another go better and and then you start off again and you know there's that sense as well that people are doing it with you around you um so you're focusing on yourself but you're also focusing on others 
Um, so that occupies you enormously in, yeah. in a sort of concentration sense. And you're thinking about the technique. So, I mean, it was mentally exhausting and I loved that as well. Yeah, yeah mentally um, stimulating. How it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, how can it be that difficult to put an oar in the water and take it out again? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating and you never take a perfect stroke. And that is something that, that I love, that kind of search for the utopian perfect stroke yeah. that appeals to me hugely. And going on that same vein, does the does the sport of rowing, given it's in the water and the and the, the safety aspect of it, also add a dimension to to that sort of opting in and keeping going? Well, if you're in a boat of lots of you, you're not going to fall in. Right. So there isn't a big fear there. And I guess that's another interesting factor. I couldn't really swim okay. because <laughs> I wasn't very successful at learning to swim, swim. and I was afraid of the water, and I still am um I don't swim with my head in the water to this day yeah. and actually had I joined at the beginning of term I'd have had to do one of these kind of water what safety you... tests <laughs> yeah. oh, which I probably, probably failed it failed. <laughs> yeah. so um and of course then because I joined they went oh it'll be fine you can swim can't you'll be fine yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be fine you nobody's falling in it's absolutely fine <laughs> crack on so um, it was always an added incentive to get the rowing right no, and make sure you didn't fall, end up in the water. But it's another quirk of fate that means yeah. potentially I might have actually been barred from doing it had I tried to sign up at the beginning. But isn't it interesting, again, you know, looking at this holistically in the system, how, how, you know, certain aspects of the system can get in our way, can't they? Or, you know, if we're not aware of the implications that they have, you know, imagine the career you you had might not have happened if you would have had if you'd have started rowing just that couple of weeks earlier mightn't it for that yeah, safety absolutely. test potentially you know and the, and the labels we put on people again we have to be really careful I guess is the message I'm hearing yeah, quite loudly yeah lots of things that can exclude you there's so many things that can exclude you rather than putting the emphasis on how do we include you at, okay. at every point uh, lots of things it feels in life are that sort of selection test um, and we and we exclude people as we go we people drop out and can you sort of be still in there um, in the running as it were um, I mean it's interesting it's still interesting to me that I absolutely love being on the water even though I have this fear of being yeah. in the water I find it immensely calming I mean it's my favorite place to be in a in yeah. a rowing boat or to be in any boat on the water I really love it but it is Sort of fascinating how I, yeah I, at some point I feel I still need to conquer that fear because I haven't ever so you were doing well I guess within the uh, within the rowing team within the university how did things really start escalating forward for you then because you know one of the, the areas I thought about is as you started obviously improving at your rowing I guess an element of outcome comes into that how did that settle and sit with you when you know when performances started to matter more so initially they didn't. And initially I can remember um, sort of after that, you know, initially I was there for three weeks to do this novice race. And then we decided that as a group of friends, we'd carry on the next term. Okay. And I can remember someone saying, do you want to try and trial for a higher boat? I said, no, I want to stay with my <laughs> friends. You know, and how lovely, how great. And, and I can remember at the time people sort of thinking, you know, she's tall, she's maybe got talent, but she hasn't got it mentally because she wants to stay with her friends. Right, yeah. You know, I can remember a couple of people saying that. It wasn't in any way, uh, didn't hold me back, if you like. But I just remember people, yeah, I don't think she's got it mentally because she just wants to have fun. I, and I love that kind of sweeping judgment again that we that I've seen teachers make. Um, and so, so I did do another term with my friends and absolutely loved it and enjoyed it. And then was persuaded, the couple of us were persuaded to sort of go into a slightly better crew in, in the summer term. 
And then I stayed up and did like a development opportunity with the university in the summer. And I think the interesting thing was there was always the next level option there for me and there was support and there was the opportunity do you want to have a go at this next slightly better level there was never a sense of do you want to go to the olympics i mean yeah no um uh, but there was always a sense of do you know what there is a way could, you know of, of rowing with these people who've got a bit more experience and seeing if that you know if you can develop at that level if you like and that again was really lovely that there was always progression there was always the possibility but it was always a safe step at a yeah, time small progression yeah without any sense of where it was going you know, maybe that it would go to a university level, I guess. Yeah. Um, but still quite exploratory and a sense that, do you know what, you can stop at that level and have fun at any level as well. So we're not not having fun, but we are getting a bit more serious. We are training a little bit harder. We are kind of putting a bit more time in. Um, but still, there's that sort of option of, of choice about it. There must have come a time then, I'm, I'm guessing. OK, when are you going to start taking this seriously? Yeah, um, so... And- um, after university, right. the I mean, I was basically left at the end. We had lovely coaches, great coaches, yeah. um, who you know really helped us to get a feel for the the technique and the feel for the boat. I guess the feel okay. for the water, all of those elements, which are the beautiful elements of rowing and essential elements in speed, yeah. as well as getting the strength side of things. So yeah. it was quite a well balanced approach. And of definitely working to, to performance to, to particular races in the year. Um, they sort of left me with that sense of you've got the potential that you okay. could possibly one day be in the Olympic team. And that's what I left university with this kind of idea of and the sense of are you going to have a go at this or not? Are you going to go and get a proper job or are you going to find a way to, to see yeah. if this path goes anywhere? And, and that was quite a sort of big decision, if you like. But at the same yeah. time, when somebody says that to you, you also in your heart know you, you really need to give it a go. Um, and I think at that point, it massively changed. Then it was a okay. sense of once I got sort of anywhere near, I mean, there weren't pathways in the sense of pathways yeah. that exist now, but, but yeah. any time you went to trials or you spoke to anyone involved with the, with the British team, oh, a serious athletes, we're not having fun. Oh, yeah. no, definitely not. Yeah. No more fun. This is now about pain and sacrifice and being tougher than you've ever been before. And all of that narrative arrived, which yeah. I found you know oh, you know dense and and a bit okay. kind of oppressive really but I thought well that's what you've got to do to be an Olympic athlete mm, well I'd better have a go at it I mean I remember thinking I'm not sure I'm going to be very good at this um but um you know I'm, I'm not sure I want to do this but at the same time I would love to find out if I could go to the Olympics so this is what I've got to do and I felt I kind of I was a novice to this way of thinking and then of course I threw myself into it so there's going to be nobody tougher than me there's going to be nobody who can go through more pain than me you know I went I'll do it better than anyone yeah (laughs) yeah you know headlong into this narrative of you know don't have any fun don't expect to to enjoy yourself unless you unless you're in the very top step of the podium one day and you know all this don't respect the opposition and don't give an inch and you know be miserable if you lose oh my goodness winners do not like losing so you must make it abundantly clear if you don't do well that you know it's the end of your life and oh god I worked through myself into that one and for years because of course when you're on the way up you don't win many races um so you know I I, I really kind of 
tried to learn all of that stuff about are you tough enough to win have you got the will to win this winning language was very dominant all the time and it felt it, you know it's held over you because it's sort of what have you won you got nothing so what are you going to do to show us that you can win it was all about uh, all about this winning thing it was very dominant um i found that very hard i found it hard to thrive yeah. and to feel that that i could actually do my thing you know explore who i could be so Kath, what kept you in it then do you think when you were when that's so hard around you because i guess you could have chosen to walk away at that stage or yeah or, or could you choose uh, to wait, walk away I, I i i really thought about it constantly do i really want to do this yeah. um i suppose there was a sense of you know that that a amazing could you go to the olympics i still had that sort right. of you know thinking back to how magical that had been watching it you know wow is that even a possibility it was still incredible to me and i think i had a sense of i think that I found something I love and that I'm good at. I fundamentally love being on the river, even though it's being made a little bit miserable by lots of people. I actually still love the act of being in a rowing boat. Okay, yeah. And I haven't yet worked out how fast I could go. I think I could go faster. I think I can get better. So I think those were the things that, you know, were very powerful things. I mean, I'm so glad I, I loved the sport yeah. because that's what enabled me to manage that. I mean, I think if you were doing it just to go to the Olympics, you wouldn't keep going. But I did love being out on the river every day. Sounds like the, the internal um, gratification was nearly stronger than the external. You know, that was... I needed that to yeah. survive the external, yeah, yeah, to cope with it. And, and what, what else helped you cope with it at that stage? Because, you know, I guess lots of people may be listening in here, either in sport or outside, are, are feeling some of these tensions and pressures at the moment. And I'm wondering, I know we're all different, but I'm wondering what, what mechanisms did you use to manage and cope? The strategies did you have? I mean, connections, support, having others, having people from my university days, coaches and just friends, having a, a support base outside of the very kind of narrow sort of Olympic team world. Um, that was really important. I think having other interests so I kept going with my studies because yeah. I wasn't sure if I was going to get in the team or not I wanted to keep momentum going I was curious there was plenty of things you know I was happy to keep studying um and you know that that was lovely to you know if you've had a bad day and you've come out bottom of the rankings then you just go and bury yourself in you know I was, I was doing a master's in international politics and then I went back to doing some a PhD in um, in German and you know I was lovely that was my world that was a, a kind of world that wasn't prodded and poked by sports scientists and that was an enormous lifeline to me oh, okay. throughout throughout my time to have something else that's also yours that isn't necessarily a win-lose um, element of your life that you enjoy that gives you perspective as well that there are other things out there. I'm also really curious though many people nowadays are, are at that elite end of whatever sport they're in are saying look you need to focus and give everything to it you know and I'm wondering did you get much challenge or pressure around actually having other interests outside because it sounds like that that was what was the, the nourishment to allow you to do what you do and perform at your best and you know yeah, what's I, the tensions around that at all certainly I mean I often had to hide it almost right <laughs> it varied not every coach not every coach um, some certainly saw it as a threat to your commitment, to your, um, yes, your, your ability to, to, to be utterly devoted to becoming the best. Um, I knew it was a lifeline. I knew it, 
in no way reflected badly on my commitment to the sport. I mean, that just seemed illogical to me, it still does. And I think we've seen that actually um, it, it's a real problem if you don't have that other perspective. Perspective is enormously important to resilience, to performance, to, to being able to, um, you know, assess what's worked and what hasn't worked so that you can move on rather than if you've lost, you feel it's a total failure and that your own self-worth you know, as part of it is wrapped up in that. Again, that's a really dangerous road to go down. And we're seeing a lot of um, sportsmen and women, you know, who have really struggled with mental health issues, with self-worth issues, because they have nothing else in their lives. And if it doesn't work out as you want, and there's all sorts of reasons why it might not, from injury, fitness, not being selected, just not being fast enough, or a global health pandemic comes along and wipes away your competition. There's all sorts of things you can't control. It's, It's madness to to sink everything into that. And, you know, I still did that to, to a degree uh, to, even though I was studying, you know, it was absolutely clear, particularly in the early years that the first priority is roaring, you know, everything is about that. And, and I, you know, I was still vulnerable to that sense that I'm still being very defined by how well I can do and whether I can, can win in this or not. Um, so even with that sort of element of studying that was, you know, a lifesaver, I still didn't have enough perspective, I would say, looking back. Gosh, and I was sat here just thinking about how I've heard your story is that you, whatever you do, arguably you sink your, you sink everything into it, you know. But actually, you've you've chosen three or four things to sink everything into it. So what you, you do, you give you a whole. But actually, it's not just one thing, is it? It's three or four things because you, it sounded like you really worked hard, but you really worked hard with your friendships and that kind of area and the rowing. And it seems like it feels like a very full pie. Yeah, I think I'm a, I, I'm definitely one of those sort of immersive people. And, and I find that hard now in, in later life to sort of have a balance, to have family right. balance, to, you know, I definitely did lots of things to, to that, you know, obsessive degree because I just love doing them. And um, and, and that can that can be at the cost of, of, mm. of friendships at times and, and of having a balance, if you like, and, and of having a sense of who you are you know, um, regardless of, of how you're spending your time. So that's certainly something that I continue to, to reflect on and think about. And yeah, I mean, I, I love throwing myself headlong into something. Do you have a, a tip or, a, you know, any sort of guidance as to how, how do you now better manage the balance? You know, recognising you've been to that extreme of, of a very, very full immersive life um, and recognising now to perform at your best, you need to have a better balance. And I'm wondering, you know, what tips or guidance might you give? Because people are playing on the edge of this often in different industries and sports. Yeah, uh, I'd say I'm a work in progress on this, um, you know, and, and what do I do to try and help myself? Um, you know, I try and, and I suppose have have time to plan a bit about um what am I going to do when it when you get to that tipping point where you've overloaded yourself? Um, you know, what what are the different ways in which you can also just relax and switch off and make sure that those times are there where you're actually doing nothing immersively, you're just being, you're just going for a walk, you're just spending time reflecting or yeah. or you know being mindful. And yeah. um, and you know that I, I'm a work in progress learning about those things, but I probably value the need, you know, the need and need need for that more than more than ever and I think bringing those kind of elements into a sporting environment are very powerful and and the work that I do supporting the true athlete project has really taught me a lot and shown me about the role for mindfulness in sport compassion in sport 
um, you know, thinking about the wider perspective of why we do sport, the social responsibility, the, the role that sport brings us and our lives and our communities. And those elements, I think, are very powerful and they are all really helpful to performance as well. So we're not talking you've got to in some way, um, you know, it's to the detriment of that, actually putting sport within uh, that framework, that broader framework is really helpful to being able to perform. And there were definitely occasions where, you know, I had lost perspective and I had, you know, got too immersed in it or too desperate to win, tried too hard and went slower because of it. Well, you make a beautiful link there to the kind of the work that you're doing now. And you mentioned there the, you know, the True Athlete Project. And, and also I'd like to bring in here, you know, the, the Long Win, the book that you've just authored. And I'm really curious to just hear a little bit about your, um, how was the journey of creating the book? Because again, you're an immersive person, you put everything into it, but uh, tell us a little bit about the, your journey. <laughs> Lots of late nights. Um, I mean, the, the book itself is another of those wonderful, slightly torturous at times processes of many years. Um, I think I've, I've always wanted to make sense of some incredibly intense experiences that I've had in sports and in other parts of my life. And this obsession with winning was definitely something I was always trying to work out, that sense of who are the real winners here? When I look around and I see people who've got gold medals but aren't happy, is that really the picture of success? I think I saw some of these contradictions within the sporting environment. And it, for years, I've been trying to really understand that, read about it, think about it, look at different ways of understanding um, what research tells us about motivation, what it tells us about um, how we get the best from ourselves at a, at a deeper level. Yeah. Um, you know, these are basic sort of philosophical questions almost <laughs> about the value of life the meaning of life what? um that but you know we that go through all our minds at different yeah. at different points or never leave our minds and and so you know the, the book was a vehicle for doing that for stretching my thinking there was a personal level of making sense of how i'd experienced it but yeah. then i was really keen to go beyond that you know there were some things i wrote down that many things that i needed to get out the stories that were that had happened but that aren't in the book because the book wasn't just a, an autobiography or an experience or anything yeah. like that it was just using the thread of my experience to explore these issues of the role that that winning plays in our lives and how it often it can hold us back you know how this ingrained assumption that we all need to try and be the best is something that makes us better when clearly I could see that not happening in schools in education in sport in business in lots of different settings mm -hmm. so I wanted to make sense of it so it required me to read a lot I love reading it required me to spend many late nights writing um, it was something I wanted to sort of immerse myself in and at times I couldn't because I had you know business and kind of family commitments along the way so it's, it's taken me a good three or four years yeah. but it's been an immense learning project for me as well which I've really enjoyed. And Kath where, where are you up to then now with with you know the role of winning and how that's played within your life you know you, you shared some of those early stories and I'm just conscious you know knowing what you know now and the work that you've done and reflecting back over your your kind of career and your your journey your life's journey you know what what's your sense of how winning has played out both positively and negatively for you so the big change for me in my rowing career was the sports psychologists and one in particular coming and explaining to me this this performance way of thinking where we think about 
your best performance as an athlete and not about the result. You can't control the result. It's going to depend on how fast everyone else goes. You can't control that. You can only control what you do. And, and that released me a lot to focus on that mastery mindset. That, that kind of is something I naturally like doing. Let's see what we can learn and find out where that takes us rather than let's learn in order to do this or to be the best. Um, and, and, and I think that sort of takes some of the joy out of the learning as well when we're doing that. So I felt immensely freed up by that concept of, you know, you're in this just to see how good a rower you can be. And then we'll see what, where, what that means in terms of world rankings when we get to the Olympics or the world championships. And that enabled me to perform far better. You know, the difference between sitting on a start line thinking I've got to win and sitting on a start line thinking, you, you've got to deliver your best, you know, you know, let's see what your best can look like. Let's see how well, how close you can get to all the things you've been preparing and training. It's a totally different experience. One feels oppressive and frankly, isn't much fun. And one is liberating and a great, you know, let's give it a go. Um, and, and for me, you know, I really struggled in the former to, 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 to do well, to enjoy it, to bring my best. Um, you know, I couldn't have tried harder, but in a very sort of effortful way. Yeah. And, you know, once I started to just think about, you know what, you've lost loads of time, so you, you may well lose again. And that's fine. You now know that people who lose can be really committed and, you know, have lots of potential. So, you know, there's no sort of let's get rid of that stigma and let's just see what's possible now. Let's just give it a go. Let's focus on all the things you can do, all the things you can change. You know, it's focus on those without determining, well, you've fixed this thing, that's going to mean you're going to come third, or you fix this thing, or that's worthy of you becoming second. You know, but it's separate that away. And that had such a liberating performance, both on the experience and then ultimately on the result the as well. Yeah. And that kind of slight, slight mind shift shift. You know, um, how did that take place? Was it through conversations or what? Because again, you know, I'm just trying to think of how do we help the listeners parallel to your story here and people will be playing with this concept and I'm wondering you know it's a turn of language nearly isn't it that you're using here but actually with it with with such a huge shift in approach to what you're doing and hearing you know trying to help individuals listening in think about how, how do I approach what I do in a, a more process driven approach as opposed to an outcome driven approach how did you do that? So the sports psychologist was massively helpful in conversations to help challenging the thinking every time you slip back into that, but will I win or not? Or, but what if I don't win sort of language, he would, you know, again, pull me away from that or go, yeah, well, we don't know. So that's not in our control. So let's put that to one side back to what we can control. (laughs) What are the things we're going to learn? What are the things we're going to get better on? And and he would often ask me the question of what are you going to gain regardless of the result? So win or lose, what do you gain? And that, I think, is a really helpful question. It's one that I still think about when I find myself slipping into that kind of mindset. What else are you gaining? What are you going to take with you after the moment that you win or lose? Um, And and again, you know, what are all of the things in 2020 that we gain, even though a lot of the things we wanted to get, we can't get? No Olympic athlete is going to win a medal this year. And, you know, lots of businesses and companies aren't going to get the results. But what are the other things we take from this year? Because often there's some much deeper learning about connection, about purpose, about the things that matter to us and that last beyond the post or that moment of of getting a result that that actually are are the longer term gains anyway because there's this danger that you win but it's a bit of an anticlimax or it feels very empty or it feels you know frankly a, a disappointment because you haven't connected it 
at that deeper level with what matters to you and you haven't connected it with what's going to come afterwards and then you have this crash you know win or lose and that's one of the things I think we you know we really need to reframe so that we have a different experience a different story it matters the story you tell when you're on the podium or after the podium not just that you got there I want to know how you got there and, and I'm, I'm getting a sense as well that this wasn't a switch that just turned overnight. It was something that was a gradual process by asking yourself those questions and having the external support to, to draw you back, to reframe and to refocus on, you know, what, what was your purpose and ask you the question, you know, what am I going to get? So, you know, again, these things, I'm, I'm just trying to, again, help listeners that might think, okay, you know, this is not something I might change overnight, but actually by working at it, it can make a big difference to really set you up for the, for the future. Yes, and you can become a, a detective of who else does this and who else doesn't. You can start challenging other people. You know, so many times around you when people sort of say, oh, yeah, you know, I don't like to focus on results in schools, but then that's all they talk about. And you can sort of reflect that back. So so what do you think we should be talking about? Because that's all you've mentioned, you know, little challenges around us, but also to listen to coaches. A lot of sports coaches now thinking this way. If you're listening to, to Jurgen Klopp, he actually doesn't talk about winning a lot. He talks about development. He talks about the team having no egos the fact that they're very open they're, they're they're not selfish in the way they play he values other aspects so we can also sort of start to look for it and 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 see where it where it comes because it's such an important part of elite performance now it's much easier to spot than it was sort of 10 15 years ago so you know look at how others will respond to things I remember you know some of the runners um you know in, in athletics last year talking about um you know Laura Muir had, had an absolute phenomenal race I think she came fifth she'd done like a PB and the whole the first five of that race were faster than any race ever before she immediately was on to that you know whereas the interviewer was sort of going oh are you a bit disappointed okay. you know because it's all about medals isn't it in their mind she was just buzzing I've been in the fastest race ever on this earth for this I can't remember how, how long she yeah. races 3005k yeah. I forget um you know and and I've done a PB so I've gone faster than I've ever gone before so how can I not be happy with that and and I just thought it's such a lovely example because that's what enables her to keep going faster to, to perform and to take you know the the kind of incredible privileges of being in that race and being up in with those people who've gone faster than before you know the excitement of that rather than somehow totally devaluing it if you purely look on a kind of ranking one two three four five which would then also set you back for building on that and where you go next so you know again there's some athletes who are great role models of this as well well Kath, i'm drawn into your enthusiasm and you know and the stories that you t you've shared and, and actually your real honesty about everything that you've gone through you know for you what's next where do you take the work that you've done either with the book you know your story the true athlete project you know what, what does the world look like going forward for you but also this kind of the, the work around winning because i know it's it's on the tip of many people's tongues at the moment so I don't have a simple answer to that. And that in itself is quite exciting. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of an adventure. The book is a new, uh, is, is really a new adventure for me, a new means of exploring actually whether this chimes, whether the timing is right. And of course, I could never have imagined it would come out in the middle of a pandemic. But whereas a year ago, I was saying to people, now, hypothetically, what might you gain if you can't race or get a result? Now people are asking that for real. It's got a lot easier to ask some of the questions that I would ask around, okay, what are you getting from 
from 2020 because you're not getting the results you thought. So I feel that people are coming towards me, are coming, you know, much more open to this way of thinking, which is really exciting. And I guess one of the things that I talk about in the long win and, and I've talked about in some of my experiences today are, are the importance of connecting with others, of finding that kind of community of people who are looking to explore how we can reach our potential of, of kind of what's the meaning in what we're doing, what's what's the purpose in sport. And the book has been a wonderful way of connecting with more people and, and spreading, um, I suppose, the, the, the network in lots of different ways. And so at the moment, that's what I'm really enjoying exploring is people who are reaching out to me with a book or people who I'm reaching out to with a book and, and saying how does this chime and and how can we maybe shift some of the cultures of sporting environments business environments and beyond well that's fantastic and you know I've spoken to a number of people and, and, and looked and dipped into the book I've not read it from back to front yet but dipped into it um, you know and I've heard people picking up um, stories and, and referring back to it and it's been the catalyst for me for many conversations so in, in many ways, you know, I'm a bit biased, but I think it, it, it is well-timed. You know, I, I know the timing was not solely at your, at your gift, but actually it seems to be landing at the moment for a number of people. Um, so keep up the good work, keep it going. Um, you know, Kath, before, before we go into um, a quick fire round questions, and I just want to throw a few questions at you. Um, what would you say has been your biggest takeaway from your journey you know what's been if you if you were to summarize it in two or three words what's been your biggest learnings from from the past right through to today which really stick with you I think it's about the power of curiosity and learning and that's the positive fuel when I'm true to that then I'm enjoying what I'm doing and actually you know good things have have come from that you know tough times too but but fundamentally it's taken me to really interesting places and, and great connections through that so you know we started there didn't we the the power of that real finding things that interest you and pursuing them and exploring them and sharing that with others and that's still really at the heart of of what I do and when I look at a week whether it's been a good week or not I don't just look at the to-do list you know those are the things that I value in in the week who have I connected with where have I had an interesting conversation that challenged my thinking and, and let's go back there and think about why that challenged me and 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 how I might kind of gain something further from that so that's probably the threat when I've sort of moved away from that when I have become more outcome obsessed or when I've been doing things I think I ought to be doing yeah. then I probably <laughs> lose some of the joy in in, in what I do yeah. and can I and can I ask you, you to ask us a question in some ways you know what from from your story and from the book what do you think would challenge our listeners thinking around the work that you've done what question might you pose to them that would challenge us so I always like to challenge people to define success in their own terms and to think about what are the things, you know, excluding all outcomes, what are the things that will represent success for you to think about elements of your life that are within your own control to influence. So for me, it's about how do you define success on your own terms? There's a good one for, for thinking over the next, uh, well, for the next couple of months or a year even, you know, because I guess it's not something you just need to switch on or switch off, but to, to continue to consider. So uh, great question. Thank you. Now, what I tend to want to do is just to, to wrap things up, but with a couple of quick fire questions. You mentioned you're a, a, an avid reader. OK, and we've also m mentioned about your book. Could you 
refer us to any books that have been uh, hugely influential either in your entire career or more recently, which you would say are real go-tos for, for our listeners to sort of tap into that maybe will either spark some interest, inspiration or some thoughts? Two or three. I am a, I am a book addict, I think it's, <laughs> it's fair to say. Um, I love Matthew Syed's books and those have certainly been a big influence on my own writing and on my own thinking and, and you know I know him a little we had some conversations about the long wind that were really helpful and to, to pushing my thinking on so his latest book Rebel Ideas I really love that concept of how we can explore and create and, and include the diversity amongst us. And when we we're talking before about how we exclude people, um, you know, it's, it's because we have these narrow metrics and we lose talent, we lose ideas, we lose good stuff because they haven't passed some narrow test at some point. So Rebel Ideas, Black Box Thinking are, are, are books that I've really enjoyed. Um, likewise, Margaret Heffernan is an author um, who's been a little bit of a mentor to me as well. And her book, The Bigger Prize, why, um, no one wins unless everyone wins is probably the book that uh, you know in the back of my mind was was the spur for the long win the conversations I had with her around collaboration and her writing and thinking looking again across society at sport at business at education and and, and a lot of what I kind of read there it was the first time someone had made sense for me that actually we can see things in a different way we can measure things in a different way we can actually value um, some of those elements that we overlook. So I'd massively recommend Matthew Syed and Margaret Heffernan's books and TED Talks. Wow, plenty of stuff to go out there, isn't there? You know, and uh, and really deep stuff in terms of really getting people to think. So great books. Um, you, you've referred to this a little as we've gone through the conversation, but uh, you know, as a as a, a sports person, you know, um, and I know what we previously spoke about before we came on air. You talked a little bit about you know how you prepare yourself, and I'm really curious to hear about um, how do you prepare yourself both mentally and physically now to be the best that you can be. So I try and exercise most days and it's now less about it's less about the score. It's probably not about the score <laughs> at all. I try not to look at any scores anymore. Um, you know, and I was saying that my world has been really busy with the book launch and, yeah. uh, and work and family. And so actually I, I create most days a space sort of after the kids have gone to school for an hour to do some exercise because that just sets me up. I can't get up early. I'm working late. I'm too exhausted, but I have to create some time for that. It's enormously important for me. Mm. And then I think there's something about just being very present um, when the diary is full or just thinking about what am I on at the moment? How do I get the most out of this? not thinking about what's coming up, what's coming next, but just actually, you know, I'm having a great conversation here with you and how can we sort of make the most of this time that we have? Brilliant. So I really like the idea of being present, but there's also, there's also a sense in there for me about being disciplined, isn't there? About making some space or time for you because that's really important. So um, great stuff. You, you've mentioned um, a few people along the way. I'm, I'm really curious again as to know, you know, and this is a tough question, but would you call on any two or three people that have really been pivotal or really influential in your career to date that you would refer back and say, look, this, these were a crossroads. These people either helped me move on or really influenced me. So my two coaches at university level, uh, Ron and Roger, were a formidable duo, a lovely, right. two lovely. very lovely, generous guys who you know, really instilled in me a love of rowing 
or encouraged it. They didn't instill it. They, they encouraged it. They nurtured it. And they gave me a really good technical foundation as well that actually late, in later years, it was all about how tough you can be. But frankly, it's no good being a brute if you don't have the technique behind it. So <laughs> I relied on some of those early technical foundations for many years at elite level um, when it was all about, you know, who, who's training hardest. So, you know, they also just gave me that love of feeling the boat, you know, sensing how the boat meet, moves underneath, sensing how people are moving and, and the real joy of, of what for me rowing brings. It's just that sense of, yes, that kind of movement, synchronicity um, in a lovely natural environment. So they were pivotal. They also kind of gave me that sense that you've got potential. You could do it. It's not going to be easy. They did it in a, in a, in a lovely way that, that did inspire me to think, you know, maybe this is possible, not in a scary way, intimidating way, but a very normal way. Um, and so those are the two people that come very obviously to mind. Yeah, great stuff. Kath, I, I, again, I might have, we might have touched on this, but in, a, in summary, what advice would you give now to your uh, teenage version of you? You know, given the story and the journey you've been on, what would you say to yourself now? Oh, I'd say don't obsess over the results. <laughs> um, you know, you absolutely don't obsess over the results. Think about, I guess, that being present piece um, yeah. about, you know, actually, what do you take joy from? Mm. I think I, you know, really felt a bit enslaved to, you know, the, the school processes. Um, there wasn't a lot of alternative. I think I did look for joy where I could. And I think my dad's love of different subjects and things helped me with that. But I think you know, more, more of that would have been good, more of that just doing something for the pure fun of it, to mess around, to, to improvise more, you know, like in the music that I did, it was very straight laced kind of reading classical music. And actually, I think now, gosh, why didn't we just play around and compose things and improvise? And, and it's that improvising, you know, why didn't I write more just to write a silly story? Well, because nobody asked you to do that. They asked you to write a serious essay on Jane Austen, you know, and I wish that I could have done some more of those just free creative uh, moments with with all of the things that that I was you know engaged in. Fantastic. Um, and my my last question, just before we wrap up, would be um, you know you, you you've been for me very free and creative today. You know we we've, we've meandered around your journey somewhat. You know and I, and I really like that because I think that's really given a sense of you know us trying to be who you are. You know and trying to be creative, innovative, be where you go, take risks, not too worried about what it looks like at the end. You know, and I think I really believe it's hopefully will be a real freeing uh, experience for people listening in to just go and be who they are and, and maximize the learning from those opportunities. So I just wanted to give you a massive thanks for, for sharing that and, and also driving us through the principles about, you know, winning and what that really means and, and challenging the listeners and myself also to think about that. My, my last question, therefore, would be, you know, you've shared your story. Whose sports story would you be really curious still to hear about and why? Mm. Well, I, there's, a, there's a story that I know a little of okay. that was actually also one I, I could also have mentioned around the inspiring figures. And I think it's a story that I'd like to hear more about and, and that I think others would. And I had the great privilege during my sporting career to meet the legend of Daley Thompson, yeah. who is an incredible <laughs> athlete uh, in his own right. And I can remember him sort of saying to me in the lead up to the Olympics, you know, my God, you know, you, you guys are taking it too seriously. <laughs> and I thought, what is he on about? 
how can anyone take something too seriously? Would you, you know, I, I can't be serious enough. Um, and I realize now the sort of absolute wisdom in, in that. And one mm. of the things, you know, he was somebody that I watched, you know, as we spoke about right at the beginning in, in 1984, and, and he was castigated for not taking things seriously enough, for whistling, for having fun. And I just think, you know, the I'd love to hear more about what it's like in his mind mm. when he is performing, how he manages to feel joy when he's taking his third discus throw, having taken two no throws. Yeah. And, you know, the, his kind of key opposition has thrown a sort of personal best. Mm. How does he manage to enjoy those moments? Because I think that is, a, he is a fantastic role model for enjoying sport and achieving the highest performance possible. This isn't about enjoying sport and we lower standards, which seems to be the fear people have. But I think he's a role model that we don't see enough of in sport, perhaps because he's challenged lots of people, because he's challenged some of the establishment figures. But I'd love to see much more about wow. his story and him as an athlete. Well, and, and in, in my recollection, probably did one of the hardest events ever, didn't he? Given, I think he was doing 10 okay. events, wasn't he, as a decathlete. You know, so to enjoy that and to actually be successful is an amazing story. So oh, what a great, great idea. And as you say, what a great model, but not only for sport, wasn't it? You know, you've you've referred quite a lot to the principles of not just being in a as an athlete, but actually in business or, you know, international development or whatever education, whatever arena, these principles stand true. Still, yeah. Don't they? yeah, yeah, totally. Great stuff. Well, Kath, once again, thanks ever so much for your time today. Good luck with the continuation of the book. We, well, I, I definitely look forward to, to hearing if, if, if the second book comes out or what follows <laughs> on from here, but continue to keep enjoying what you're doing and, and doing the great work. And I for sure will definitely be following on um, your work with both the book, The Long Win, and the work with The, the True Athlete Project, because it's just fa fantastic. And, it, and I must say really aligns to what we're trying to do with the sports stories. Uh, and the, the academy and the resources around that because I really solidly believe everyone's got a story and you've showed that your journey can help others but it's also really impacted on you so thank you for your time really appreciate it thanks very much really enjoyed it well that was a lovely snapshot of the journey Kath has been on from her initial interest in sport and being categorised as being a not a sporty child right the way through to representing her country and winning a medal at the Olympics her story added the continued challenge I have going on in my mind that what we often see is not what is really going on. The difficulties and challenges she has faced and dealt with and how to this day she continues to question the environment and the so-called performance culture is enlightening. On the face of things it is often perceived that successful athletes have everything they desire and are happy and joyful. Also it has made me reflect on the perceptions and assumptions I make. Kath's story really adds further substance to the debate around what does success mean or look like for you and how do you view yourself and others around you. I was particularly drawn to the energy and passion from Kath whose story on how being categorised at an early age had influenced her world and in my view is probably one of the key drivers to her writing The Long Win. So with all these thoughts and reflections in mind and given this is often a reflective time of year here are the two questions I'd like to pose. There are others in Sports Stories show notes if you're interested. The first question, what perceptions do you have of yourself and others that are limiting and how might you change them? And the second question, how would you define success for you in your own terms? Give the question some time. You may like to listen back over this episode or others 
when considering these questions, as many of the previous guests have considered or touched on what this means to them. You may also wish to engage with some of the Sports Stories resources to help you. Over the coming weeks and months, there are some fantastic programmes on mindset, marginal gains, brilliant basic skills, listening, questioning, and so much more. If we haven't got what you're looking for, then please drop me a note. Also, I would love to hear your success stories or the challenges you are facing. For me, this is exactly what the Sports Stories is all about. Supporting individuals become the best versions of themselves in sport, out of sport and through sport. So if you're an athlete, parent, teacher, coach or a leader, there is something for you. We are also now in a position to align you with high calibre coaches and mentors to support you. All the coaches and mentors are skilled, qualified and importantly have experience of working across both high performance sport and business. These are truly exceptional people developers. So to find out more about the Sports Stories Academy resources or the coaching and mentoring support, then have a look at our website. It's clear and simple. The website is www.sportsstories247.com. I'm really excited about the news and complimentary support resources and services, as from my experience, a combination of all this will truly provide you with a fantastic opportunity to take the next step to become an even better version of yourself. And in cast words, find even more fun and joy in what you do. On that note, it is just leaves me to thank you, the listeners, for continuing to support and engage, as without you, we would have less focus and purpose to what we are doing. Thanks so much to Kath for her inspiration, passion, insight and energy. She has really made me think, and I hope she has made you think too. And lastly, thanks to the small Sports Stories team supporting me bring this to you. It's much appreciated. As always, I will be back with a further Sports Stories podcast next Monday. So until then, look after yourself, have a great time, whatever you are doing. Practice some of the principles we have shared, and I'll see you again very soon.